G'day, welcome to the Super Saturday. Today, I am sitting down with a man and doing something which is synonymous with so many visits to an Australian farm. A farm tour is well and truly up there. Sam Coulton takes a huge amount of pride in everything he does, from his business to how he supports his community. But one thing he is incredibly passionate about, and it will show in this episode, is around education and helping people understand more about their cotton farm and their cotton clothing business, Gundwindi Cotton at Gundwindi. So, I'm not going to take too much time. There's a few glitches, there's a few not-so-pretty bits as microphones go in and around cars. We were in cars, out of cars, walking around. It was a, a true farm tour, and if you want to check it out, there's a few different shots on our Instagram. It was traditionally sheep, uh, right the way through to the 50s, you know, with no more riding the sheep's back. So we, my old men started farming, plowing the country the old and huge way and that sort of thing. And then we put some an irrigation board down in 1957, mostly to supplement cattle feed. And then we went to cropping, sorghum and corn and wheat and that sort of thing. And then in 1973, we came in and we bought this farm, which was partly developed, the irrigation. And we got in and developed it, got it up, got it going. And then in 1978, 77, we planted the first crop and we've been talking about growing cotton. The Americans have been growing cotton at Weewool and quite successfully. Uh, but nobody had been game to grow it outside of there. Why was that? Well, mainly because it costs so much to get into. And to go from a grain farmer to growing cloth on a bush just takes a bit of getting through the brain. You know what I mean? You're worried about hey, what's going to happen. How are you going to pick it? And we're going to. And we're not, not, not. And luckily, what happened to us? We bloody near went broke, and we had to go to cotton, change and adapt, and we had to. So, but was, and it sounds like it was like a pretty risky move, though, wasn't it? Like, oh shit, it was a mess. But all... we had the guns at our head. See, I went to my fertilizer companies, who I had money for from the last year, and my seed companies, my fuel companies, and said, "Listen here, blokes, we had a real problem here. Unless you give me crop terms for another year." I'm going to grow cotton, and this is what's going to happen. You're going to lose a lot. So they all went with me, all my suppliers, and away we went. Went with our family. I mean, and we grew the first crop of cotton in this field over here. The 007 the first one in the valley to grow it, and another bloke called Roger North, my next-door neighbour, he put in some cotton as well to see how it was going to go. Anyway, we paid most of our bills the first year, came off, it's change and adapt, like most people do on the land or in any successful business. They don't die. Get out there and pick another line and away you go. And we do that. And as you well know, as country people and working on land, I mean, it, it rained last night. So there's a change of direction this morning. But you've got to be ahead of that all the time, thinking ahead. And what the hell's going on out there? Anyway, we've always been that way. So, And most people on the land today have been that way. Is this the farm you grew up on? No, I grew up at North Star, uh, yeah, right. between North Star and Gavin, a place called Gettigan, and we still own that farm. Uh, my brother Duff, brother Ben and William, out there. And they're, um, oh, they've got you know, massive irrigation and dry land, and it's, it's a beautiful part of the world. It's all basalt soils, you know, magnificent out there. So four of you boys, and everyone wanted to go farming from yeah, that Yeah, everyone wanted to go farming. Yeah, no, yeah, so it was great. I love asking different people the question. What would be like your earliest memory in agriculture, you reckon? My earliest memories are potty calves 
feeding potty cars with milk bottles on the tennis courts at get-together. Yeah, right. I mean, as a five-year-old kid, mum used to go and get all bloody potty, you know, the potties and the droughts, bits, please, and, and, and the tails going and, and the beautiful part about all the calves playing in an afternoon on a bit of a hill, you know, all dancing and playing and, you know, like blokes do, you know what I mean? It's gorgeous. Yeah. But the potty calves and everybody, yeah, no. And it was cattle and, lamb, you know, and lambs in those days. Due to um, all I wanted to do at school, and I left when I was 15 and in, in, in fourth year, all I wanted to do was come home and drive a tractor, get mixed up in, in you know, agriculture. And uh, I was doing a little bit of spam this morning. And what's going on here? So what do you, you got the couple of planes running around here? What yeah, you got one. Oh, there's Frank plane. This is Frank plane going around. I asked the next door neighbours just there. They might have a, I don't know, what, what's happening this morning? What's changed since you came home at 15 years old? What hasn't? <laughs> the whole world's changed. It's been part of, it's continual change. Our farming techniques from the old English ways have been the main thing that's changed, from ploughing to no-till, like you see on the right-hand side here, mm-hmm. in that hilly country out there with the basalt soils. I mean, if we'd you're still farming the old English way, you wouldn't have any soil left. To be all gone, raising would have taken a lot. We changed, and our yields, you know, I came home from school, we were going three quarters a ton. And now we're growing a ton and a half, two ton. You've got to stop opening it there. To the acre dryly. I mean, it's massive. We've been able to store more moisture in the soil. You know, when the rain comes down on that stubble, we used to get it in heavy storms, and it will just throw the velocity of the rain drop down and store more moisture. And that's all we're trying to do as farmers. Anyway. You go anywhere throughout Australia now, and that's all we're trying to do is store energy, is store moisture. Incredible. How did your different interests and stuff go? Because obviously it started off in, in grain and whatnot, but then, yeah. We had to go to cotton. And it's the most profitable thing to grow per megalitre of water, yep. whether it's dry land or irrigation. How have the varieties and how's cotton changed since you guys started growing? Was it 1978? Well, well, yeah, 78 was their first year we took it off. But, I mean, what happened was it was profitable. 1975 didn't help us much because we had a flood come right through here and wiped, it, wiped us out. That like, really put some pressure on it. Did you have – you'd already planted yeah. the crop and everything? Yeah. No, we'd, well, we didn't have any cotton in, but it was soybeans and sorghum and sunflowers in those days. And uh, it annihilated everything in 75, which it did, and that put us in severe you know, financial pressure. So we went, you know, that's how we got into the cotton, yeah. or negotiating repayments and that type of thing, and we, we got that way, and it was the best thing we ever did. What's happened over the years, you'll find that the water comes from Pindari Dam and Glenlion Dam to the east of us. And years ago... They put them up in the 60s. And what happened was they sat there for years not being used. They were full. So the government said to the Water Resources Commission, get along the rivers and issue some irrigation licences. And let's, they were put up, you know, drought-free towns and grow food when the drought's on and get them going. Along the edge of the rivers lived the graziers. Us farmers lived off the rivers. And graziers being graziers... Yeah, they were graziers, they weren't farmers. We came in here and then we started growing cotton and then it was my goal, the way it went. And at that particular point in time, 
with our irrigation licenses, we had an 80% reliability factor that we were going to get water every year. And then we had a meeting with the water resources in 1982. And they said, if all the licenses that have been handed out are developed, we'll drop back to about a 29, 30% expectancy rate. And I went, whack. You know, I mean, Jesus, it's a disaster because you've gone in and spent thousands leveling and ditches and all that type of thing. But, and that was the start of the overallocation Australia-wide. That's what happened. So, yeah, talk, they talk they, they overallocated the licenses along the rivers from the dams. That's what they did. And so they're still doing that? Sorry? No, no, no. That was all chopped back off. It was chopped off in the 80s. Is that what you ended up in? Yeah, we ended up up in court over it and a massive, you know, I mean, farming families fighting. But it was was basically against the water resources and the government. They'd handed out so many licences and they wanted to hand out more. And and it just wasn't going to do anybody any good. You know what I mean? It was a disaster. So did that really create like hostility amongst families and oh yeah no it put a bad split between families you know up here on the river and it is done in a number of other rivers too that it's put a bad taste in people's mouths it's bad and work uh, but it was it, it, government started and government should have finished it but they didn't they left it to farmer fight farmer and you're still seeing that now down the Murrumbidgee and places like that you know it's crazy where government should be stepping in and saying no this is what's got to happen We've stuffed this up. This is what's yes, but they won't. So, <clears throat> what happens is we it, 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 over the years we've gradually. Uh, I mean, when we first grew our first cotton crop, we were growing a bale per megalitre of water. Now we're growing two bales per megalitre of water. We used to spray 10, 15 times with DDT, a pile of different chemicals. Now with plant breeding and CRDC, those type of people have come through and we're growing two bales per megalitre of water. It's incredible what's happening. With the recirculation tanks like this, this is the highest part of this farm, is right here. And this is the oldest dam on the McIntyre Valley. It's 100 acres, holds about 1,200 megalitres of water. The water comes down from Glenline Dam and Pindari Dam Takes about nine days to get here when we order it. Comes down, we pump it out of the river, up onto farm here. We cannot um, just go in and pump out of the river. We've got to order our water. Depends how much we've been distributed that year. Depends how much water's in the dam or allocation. Uh, we can pump it up straight into here. We try and take it when we order it straight into onto farm, straight into the into the crops. But sometimes in that period of time, you'll get a storm. So we bring it up and shove it in our dam, that water that's coming through for those nine days or for that water. Yeah. Instead of putting it on the pad, because it's only just like a tin shed, it's going to run off. Yep. And down that bottom end of this farm, the lowest area where we came in, that's the lowest point of the farm. So everything runs to there and then it's cut back into the hill and it comes right back up. And we can pump it back up into this. We recirculate everything on this farm, everything. On the other side, water comes on from the river and you go straight into a crop and then you get a two-inch fall of rain. It's just like, yeah, tin sheds, so everything. So we pump that water back up onto our farms. Number one, it's illegal to let pale water run off your farm. As in back into the river? Back into the river, yeah. 
We've got to be able to hold a two-inch storm on our farms. That's what we've got to do. So you kind of end up building like a bit of a dish, really. So it's like yeah. your boundaries are a bit at the edge of the bowl. Well, we've got banks all around to stop and to hold and to so we have got time to pump back up. So at what stage did you go from just being a grower to then moving into the whole fashion space? Have you to Indigo? Oh. And, and why? <laughs> Jesus. Well, what we wanted to do was, because we grow some of the best product in the world, Australian cotton farmers, and iron ore and blah, 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 bits and pieces, everything. We grow good quality product and sought after by the world because of the quality. We just wanted to take some cotton lint and turn it into yarn for knitting and sell it to the knitters or the weavers. That's what we wanted to do. So we had 212 bales spun into 20-count T-shirt to make T-shirt yarn in Indonesia. We brought it back to Australia, and that was enough for a couple of hundred thousand T-shirts. <laughs> so we tried to sell it, and it was too dear because it was, anyway, blah, blah, blah. We, we just worked it out wrong. And then we ran into a bloke that was making T-shirts for piping on the surf wheel label at Newcastle. And he said, look, if you put the yarn in, I'll get it knitted and I'll cut, make and trim them for piping hot. And he said, but you won't get paid until piping hot get paid from the retailers like David Jones and mine, no top person. We're only going to burn it anyway. We'll try and do something with it. You know what I mean? I said, yeah, right. Away we go. So he got up and got going. It's about 18 months, two years. And yeah, we was starting to move along. But at the same time, I always wanted to bring the manufacturing back to Gundawindi to try and give, to value out a product. When you go from $500 a bale to a T-shirt and you turn it into a T-shirt at a wholesale price of, say, 20 bucks, you just take 20,000 bucks a bale. I mean, if you take, you know, 500,000 bales that go in the Gundawindi area and you turn it all into a T-shirt, you take up into billions of dollars. I mean, imagine the economy. It was just boom, incredible. So to value add that product. So we started off that way. I ran into Louise Anderson, who you met yesterday, um, design, and she was teaching at the Bogabilla TAFE over here at Bogabilla. And she had about 10, 12 sewers that were sewing down. And I said, right, I'm well, as we were making in Sydney, we were bringing a bit of cloth back up and cutting it out from and they were showing us, Louise was cutting it out and they were teaching these sewers how to. So in the 90s, what we did is we had the sewers were taught how to class four sewers and good sewers. They bought their own industrial machines. They started working from home. They finished that Tape College course. Perfect. Right? We were paying them on a piecemeal basis. It's perfect. We were cutting them out, you know, the fronts, the backs, sleeves, collars, that type of stuff take it to their house, they'd sew them all together, we'd go and pick them up, bring them back and do the buttons and buttonholes back at the office where we were. And it was working well, paying them on a piecemeal basis. It was perfect for them because they could get the kids off to school, send the husband to work, and they could sit there and sew and make some extra money. You know, it was great. It was great. And they loved doing that type of stuff. And then we got through into the 2000s and we were going okay and just making polish it and then we had to start bringing in a little bit of colour. We, we were making a natural product and then we brought some agents on board to sell our products throughout the states. Peter and Heidi Ferrari. All manufacturers moving offshore. This idiot's heading west. Everybody else is heading east. Yeah, you know, all, you know, all the knit houses, the weaving houses, the 
spinning mills, everything's closed down. They're all gone to Asia. So in 2008, 2009, we either closed down or we moved up. So we went to China, went to Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. And we met some people up there and we started very slowly starting to bring you some products through. They were stuffing it up. They were trying to do it too cheaply. It just wasn't right. But when they, we showed them what we wanted done, the specifications exactly, uh, the type of thread, uh, the buttons, uh, the stitches per inch, the weight, <laughs> consistency. And I remember that. It went from a, a $2 shirt to a $12 shirt. When you got a quality mm. product, and it was our cotton that was going through, so it was, it was great, but we wanted something back. Had to be done perfectly. And then it started to move from there, and now we manufacture out of Hong Kong and China. We're in India, and some product coming out of Vietnam this next 12 months. We're starting to spread our manufacturing risk because of world problems, well, potential world problems, as we're starting to do now. But it, it was to value add, to bring more dollars into town. Where the agricultural sectors run into problem is droughts. We get a fantastic community moving. All of you things do, do you know what I mean? You've got good seasons. And then what happens if you get a drought? And they sell all the cattle. There's no farming going on. And we have to, the people get put off. And I mean, the people in their 30s with young kids at school, got a higher purchase, got a house, blah, blah, blah. They've got no choice. There's no job, so they've got to go to the coast. So we have to have more outside money coming in rather than just farming. And hence, Gunnawindi Cotton helps a lot in that area. We've got product going all around Australia and overseas now, so on a daily basis. So there's dollars coming into town that helps keep the butcher, the bugger, the candlestick maker going in our town. Because when the drought's over, my bride will want to have her hair done and I want to go to the pub. I want to make sure they're open. Do you know what I mean? And it's just the little things. And we've got to get more and more of that outside income coming into town. The tourist industry does help us, not much. 95% of the money that comes through Gundawindi is from farming. That's the reason Gundawindi's here, otherwise it'd be just a BP garage. That's all it'd be. It's farming, number one. So we have to have something else. And then it started to move towards waste. I saw, and this word, sustainability. What is sustainability? I believe farming, we are number one in sustainability. I mean, we've been here 100 years, and we keep it that. And there's been a lot of families do the same thing. Our farmers, they have to be sustainable all the way through. I couldn't bear, born in that early 50s, we didn't waste anything. We used everything. And what we're seeing now is that much waste. You can't fix anything. You can't. Everybody wants new clothes, new cars. And I, I can't blame people for that. What we're going through is unsustainable if the pressure on agriculture, food, energy, this type of thing keeps increasing, the prices are going to keep going up. There's going to be less of. We've done extremely well in our country. We've got a, a brilliant standard of living compared to other countries. I saw sustainability. I saw, I saw, I was in, up in Bandung in Indonesia 15 years ago. I walked into this CMT factory, cut making trip, and here's a kid sitting there, about 10, 12, 
years of age, sewing. And then, you know, everybody's, you know, we're talking child labour, you know, like that, which employees or so. Well, I said to this bloke, I said, this, I said, these are all bloody kids here, you blokes. This is right, this child labour. You know what I mean? That's your use. And he said, Sam, I've been doing it for a long time. He said, I bring the kids in, they get fed, they get clothed, and they get schooling. And he said, if I'm not here, he said, you see that rubbish dump, which is three times higher than that shed? He said, that's where they'd be. Just scouting out through. He, he just, in, just scavenging. He said, that 18-year-old boy there that's on the floor, as what's name, he started in that rubbish dump. And now he's here, and they all work. They all get reading, writing, and arithmetic back in those days. He said they get three feeds a day, and they got some clothes on. And he said, seven o'clock in the morning, they're all at that door. Get in here. They do not want to go home. And you can understand. Now, that's what I call sustainable. Not that we have child labour. I don't do any manufacturing up there, but that hit me hard. And when I sit here and I listen, hear people say, you should be paying this person, that person, and blah, 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 and you shouldn't be using child labour. Come on. That's what those countries are about. You're not going to change it. It'll take years to change. Has that opportunity, because of going to Indicotton and seeing other parts of the world, especially like developing countries and whatnot, how much has that changed and like shaped your view of the world, you reckon? Changed my view of the world. Yeah. I do know we're an extremely, extremely lucky country. There's no doubt about that. We're number one, as I see it. I see Canada. There's other areas. They're all, what I see in Asia, they're all happy people. They enjoy their lives. They are maybe because they haven't got the material things we have to fight over. Yeah. Beautiful food. Beautiful food. It just goes on and on and on. You know what I mean? Like I, yeah. Um, I seem to fit in with anybody. Anytime, anywhere, as you saw this morning. <laughs> so, I've been around the world that many bloody times. And through, uh, you know, I mean, Good outside centre, right? Yeah. <laughs> outside centre. I was a, I was a hooker. Were you? Yeah. Yeah, right. Anyway, damn here, buddy. We've started to move towards lateral moves. You want this pivots. close up or leave On it? Our oh, no, dog in there. Yeah. Yeah, well. I reckon people who are just coming on our farm to it, uh, like probably, well, I mean, I wouldn't know much about your family. So how many, your four brothers, everyone's still farming, but you've all gone separate ways now. Yeah, we're all, we, we're, we're all integrated. I mean, my brother, my nephew, Sam, farms this in conjunction with his farm mm-hmm. on this farm here, which is just to the south of me, they join us. Yep. Brother Ben, uh, yeah, his office is at my office, the girl there. And, but we're, yep, all discussing, talking. I don't know. It, it goes on and on and on every day, it is, or every second day. Mm. And are they supplying into Gundy Cotton as well, or that's all just your? No, no. See, we only use Gundy Cotton. We don't use all our own cotton. No way, because we've got that many, many different types of yarns that we do use. You've got to have a couple of hundred bales spun at a time, and we only use about seventy-five bales over twelve different yarn counts. Each year. And if you get all that spun, it's enough to last you for 10 years. But what happens is the fashion changes and you get, you're stuck with a whole pile of cotton. 
Jan that you can't do anything with. You know, I mean, it just goes on. And where do you store? And it's got to be spun, um, you know, offshore. You can't bring it back onshore. It just never stops. You know what I mean? So it is best to just buy Australian cotton. Well, well if we can't get that, we get you um, American cotton comes through. Yeah, right. So, well, I was going to ask you, like, farming's one thing which is evolving and that will even in the last 24 hours, rain yes. came through, so it changed the plans yes. for today. But, yep. um, like, <laughs> fashion's a whole different beast, how quickly that moves from season to season. How do you stay across all these things? Well, I've got very, very good people. Yeah. Very good designers, production people, and it, it, it works extremely well. They across this, they travel, go to the States. You've got, it's a lot easier now with the internet, all the communications. You can use that and see different types of colours, different types of styles that are coming through. So it's easier than it used to be. You don't have to travel as much, although it's to feel the touch. It's like, of all the people that, on our internet, you probably get a million people visits a year wow. to internet. That's it. But only 1.5% of those people buy. People like to walk in, touchy feel, look, try on, walk out. Mm-hmm. That's, that's how they like to do it. What does your day-to-day look like of what you do? They're going to start off at bloody 6 o'clock of the morning, yeah. driving east to a farm, having a look around up there or around other farms, or back, looking at what the Aussie dollar's done overnight, how we can take some options to protect ourselves because all our manufacturers are in US dollars. Mm-hmm. So we've got to pay for it in Australia, take Australian dollars and pay it US. We've got sales where overnight. I look at those. I look at where the currencies are. The first thing before I do anything of a morning is look at my phone and look at five weather apps every morning and every night and during the day. Right? <laughs> Trying to get a feel of what's going on weather-wise because... Everything's affected by the weather. Yeah. So we, we're constantly looking. Like usually, our first cotton agronomist we ever had, a fellow called Chris Lehman from Narrabri, well, Chris dead now, or he's only my own. But he, standing right here in that old hut over there, he said, you know, the best fertiliser you can give your land is footprints. Walking across. Looking, see what's happening, and it's just not in farming. It's across all businesses. You walk, you talk, you listen, you help on that side, um, and, and and it's amazing what we can pick up and and learn. You know, it's incredible what goes on, and that's what I do. Well, I'll say it like fascinates me because it's was just so much information and things to take in. Is that just, it's really through conversations and being... It, but Ollie, it's trusting people. We're people that don't lean over people's shoulder and say, this is how you've got to do it and that's the gear you've got to go in and... But you've got to let people live their lives. And if you've got a team of people running, uh, the team will, will keep them going and they'll want to be part of the team, like that inside centre. This morning. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. People know 
the numbers of what's happening out there, what our sales are, what our costs are, what, what's happening out there every day, got it on the scoreboard, sitting right up there like going to a football match. Yeah. You're going to win cotton, they're watching the numbers. What the sales are, what garments they are, they're watching a live screen. So all in there. Yeah. Other thing with us, I haven't put or fired anybody, as we used to call it, 45 years. Why do you reckon that is? Because they, they've got to fit in with the team. People come on board, and it's the team that's sort down. I mean, there's 25 and bloody Gunnabinny Cotton all the way through with the contractors and bar and bits and pieces. I mean, it's part of the team. Yeah. And if you've got to let the team run, you've got to give them direction or help with direction, and there's times you have to make some hard decisions, but I'll listen to what everybody's got to say. And then we make the decision together. It works that I see. Everybody's striving to do something. It's just not a job from nine to five or from seven to six. Most of my people work yeah. uh, every day. I mean, it's on. And they're even thinking, watching it. They're at night times on their computers and phones. And, and so you just try and finding there's a type of, I'll say there's a type of person who fits in with your team. Yeah, that's right. But and they'll work it out for themselves. They work it out for themselves. Yeah. Uh, they pick the ball up and they run with their area. They go, wow, this, you know what I mean? Yeah. This is ownership. Nothing worse than, oh, listen, I've got a bride. I've been married 50 years. Oh, I've got a bride that goes, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this. <laughs> you don't want to be like that. <laughs> I mean, don't put that in. I've got four kids. I had four girls. I've got bloody seven grand, eight grandchildren now, and I told them that was enough. The oldest is 23 and the youngest is six. I'm a very, very lucky person. All healthy. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Hi, I'm Pia, horticulture and sugar analyst at Rabobank, and I'm here to share our latest insights on Australia's vegetable market. Did you know in 2023, Australia produced over $5.8 billion worth of vegetables, though only 4.3% of this was exported? Like many other countries, the Australian vegetable industry relies mostly on its domestic market. In fact, only 7% of global vegetables produced are traded between countries. But we are starting to see that trend change. Global trade is growing at a faster rate than production, and countries with low-cost production are seeing the highest growth rates. You can learn more about trends in the vegetable market on our latest Rabo Research Australia podcast, Mapping World Vegetable Trade, or reach out to me via the Rabobank Australia social media channels to learn more. Now, this is a mess of a Mate, no, no. Because we haven't had any bus tours in. I mean, it's just, we've got to get in and revamp everything. The other problem that the farming has is exactly what you're trying to do, and that's why I like you. Education. We've been over to feed that mob to the east of us, but we haven't been over to educate them on how it's done. Everybody thinks this all food um, and fibre comes from a 20-acre farm in Tasmania. This is the real, this is where it all happens. This is where it's done professionally, sustainably. Most people, before they come out here on our bus tours, that's the reason we started our bus tours, was to educate people. And that was 18 years ago. I put that on the circus, but it goes on five days a week, six days a week. We've got two operators that run it, and we do a, a farm and town tour. But it was to, to show people a scale. Everybody watches television and they go, 
Well, why can't they use a three-quarter garden hose? Mm -hmm. I mean, and they come out here and they go, wow. And this is one of the smallest cotton farms in the McIntyre Valley, Alsoringa. Right? It's the original one, the most smallest one. And it's incredible what, what people pick up from it. And we've had, there's a lot of people that don't like the cotton industry. And they come here and they, go, they really start to understand what's happening. I mean, the world produces 120 million bales of cotton each year. We produce three and a half, four million bales of cotton, so we're only 34 percent of it. But we are 12 percent of the world's spinning market. The length, the strength, and our fineness in our cotton fibre is magnificent. Bill, the world wants it. It's something that's very much sought after. You've got to have cotton. You can't use anything else. The world wants it. And when you start looking at, it's not just made into T-shirts or garments. You've got uh, hospitals, bandages, swabs. I mean, it's everywhere. And people talk about us using water. Of course, we've got to use water. Everything uses water. The cement in this floor used water. But as I said earlier, we're growing... We used to grow a bale per megalitre, and now we're growing two bales per megalitre. I mean, it's massive. And wheat and barley are exactly the same. Soya beans, uh, corn uses more water. It goes on and on and on. Mm. And, and, and for some reason, the press over the years. But come back to the education part of it. It's always been a problem. But, and we're getting worse and worse and worse, because that's where the babies are. And, and, and you get Instagram or what's the name page that goes viral, right, about <laughs> farmers using water, and then next minute it gets worse and worse and worse. Yeah. Right? So, and those voters are hurting us by taking the resources away from us. Mm. That's where it's coming So, education. And we run out about, there's about three and a half, four thousand people do a, a farm tour every year. We so why did you start it for education? education? Just pure education. And was it hard to get people initially, or it was just an open gate policy? It was funny. A, a fellow called um, Tim Frankel, Kim Frankel, that owned the caravan park in Gundawindi, one Thursday afternoon he arrived and he said, listen, he said, I've got people every weekend out there want to do something, right? All He said, I just want to hold them another night. He said, can you take them out to your farm and show them? That was Thursday <laughs> afternoon. Monday morning, we had the school bus at nine o'clock. We had 23 people on the bus. Then we had the highest school bus and the driver, and then we put a person on board, and then we put a morning tea on. Yeah. And, and it, just, it just kept going. But it, it, it's a costly thing to run, but, but it, it, it really promotes our town, our area, and our agriculture. Yeah. So we set this up. Now, we started really starting to set up. We had the picture here. That's one of those old Is this one of your original ones? Yeah. yeah on wow. So, well, I wouldn't even, when it comes to like trading off machinery, was it this had sentimental value that you didn't sell it along the way or what? Oh, no, I don't know what happened. Just bloody didn't go. We yeah, had four right. or five of them or something like that. And then we went to four rows and now we're that, you know, pick a balers now. It's massive, you know what I mean? It's bloody. Do you still drive it? No. I haven't been on bloody picker for years. I'm a weak man. Yeah. Better. Yeah. yeah love, I was born and bred with wheat and barley and that type of stuff, you know, dry land and some irrigation, but basically, yeah, 
La Madrona and Malabar. Cotton is magnificent. There really is. It's one of the best industries we've ever made mixed up in with our... Now, when you look at cattle and all the cereal grains and bits and pieces, but the cotton industry is magnificent. It runs well, extremely. Tell me a bit about what you guys are doing with, um, well, yeah, with putting recycled cotton back on the farm. Well, before we go there, mm. the, the, this, we, right at the start of COVID, we had all these school buses booked from the coast to come out for three days yeah. and do this farm, a feedlot, and one of our wheat farms, mm-hmm. and then COVID it, right? Yeah. And that's why I eventually want to go back to, if I've got the energy, you start booking those kids, come out here, sit in the shed here, and then they can say to their parents, no, they don't use that much water, and the reason they do, that's wrong, Dad. Mm. We'll come on the tour, but we'll video it, and then we can yeah. get one into classrooms and homes as well. Ah, it's just... It's, I've got a lot more technology to put in here with our Newton probes and we're going to rechange all this this year. But then I've got to start bringing schools back on board. Yeah. Nikki and Katie start doing that to come out of here. Yeah. And look and get and feel. And in the amazing, the people that sit in a field and go, this is a bit more food than fibre comes from. This is... You're really looking after something. If, if, if I don't, if you don't look after this, I don't get fed. I can't go, again, chuck it right. You've got to believe and you've got to trust us. Just don't make decisions. I said, this is where it comes from. If you ain't got us, you starve. And, and it, all of a sudden, it hits them, and, and then they say, I hope you're really looking at them. I said, well, we are. Our yields have gone up. We're holding more moisture. We've got more pliable soil, and they are really happy with that because it's the basis of life, number one. So we set this, yeah, bah, 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 set right through so that no other picking takes place. You know, the spindle pull it off the bushes that come through, blah, 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 and the right way through to a little cotton gin over here. Uh, <laughs> How good is this? Yeah. <laughs> if you see these saws, you might be able to see them from up oh, yeah. here. Saws through slots. Yeah. Ah, there's better. See those saw, saw the rotary saws. And that's the principle of the gin. Yeah. The 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 word gin comes from engine. It used to be in the States when they picked the cotton and put them in a bag on their back, they walked up to the engine. That's what came from the cotton field. Now, there's saws, three slots, and what happens is you see the, uh, the seed, feel the seed in that, in that cotton. Right? The seed's got to be, that's when it goes to gin, that's what the separation is, is the seed from the lint cotton. The lint goes to one side and the seed goes out as food. And a third of what you see on that cotton plant is food which goes to feedlots, sheep, you know, cattle, blue. So let's see. If you have a look. See coming out this side? Yeah. All right. Take, take. But that's the principle of the ginning system. That, 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 it's pretty um, simple, isn't it? Yeah. And the lid goes there. The seed comes back this way. The seed goes out to into a big shed out the back. And then you've got your lint. 
The other side of this circle is the Murray-Darling Basin, Great Dividing Range. And we show them what's happening with our water. And if you look at the, what, what the Murray-Darling Basin, it starts down here at Bathurst. It runs all the way up, right up to Toowoomba, right around the miles, right up to Tambo, down there, Hungerford, and it feeds down into Wentworth, well, where the Darling River comes in down there. We can, it's a massive area. We contribute about 14 to 15% of the water to the, to the Murray. That's what we contribute each year, down that way. We're getting more and more restrictions put on water up here as irrigators, which is hurting our towns and the productivity in our towns and the underwriting of the, the towns, uh, the government are gradually taking more and more water off of the Murray-Darling Basin to push more water down through here. It won't get there. It doesn't get there, only in major floods. Uh, it just, um, the other thing that's happening is all the farmers in that area have all been able to store more moisture. All our yields have gone up on our dry land. All, all of uh, the cattle, the sheep, they're all storing more moisture in the ground to grow better crops or more grass so it's not running off as much. Mm -hmm. well, what we're starting to see now is because that's happening, they say that we're not getting the water down to, to go on into the dark, into the mountain. So they're taking more and more off the irrigators, more way more, more way through. That's what's happening to And we show people that and what's going on. It's, it's, yeah. And so, well, if you guys are storing, like you're storing more, but you, so you're, you're not using more. It's just no, more, no. not running. It's not running off. See, what, what it's happened? It's been held in the ground. What, 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 yeah, yeah, well, it's been held in the ground. See, even the farmers, the sheep farmers, um, out this way, Bolan, Kalamala, out in that area out there, they had the sheep would eat down so far, and then the roos would come in and just take it down to like that. And yeah. every 30 points or 40 points of run, used to run. Now they've got exclusion fencing in, like the kangaroos, mm -hmm. or contained kangaroo population, and the grass is growing more. There's more water penetrating the soil. The soils are getting better. They're more productive and more microbes in the soil mm -hmm. because of humus is breaking down into the soil. Just gradually we are getting better and better at retaining water in the soil. What I want from there goes through to the recirculation thing. That's some of the product we put down the first year. It's garments and some sheets that we shredded and we spread. That was three years ago. Well, this is all reused. Yeah, this is all. This is all the garments, garments and sheets. We put that down. 
uh, on a field just over here. We'll just go and have a look at that now. Mm. And it was gone within about four or five months. Did you bury it or just sit it? Yeah, yeah, just, yeah, well, yeah, buried it, put it, um, you know, just spread it over and cultivated it in. Mm. It was in the microbes, increase in microactivity was unbelievable. And, and the microbes, they just love it. The boys are in there and it's, it's on, you know what I mean? The worms and cosmos, what else was incredible what happened. So I'm going to take you to show you something over there on the field. Well, I was going to say. Now we're down, we sped this year, we sped this. Now that's cotton seeding and clays, bits of clays, and we put it down a couple of tonnes of the hectare. We put down 10 tonnes on the land over there, on the soil. It's starting to go now, but it is retaining 20% more moisture in that area at this particular time than where it hasn't been applied. Amazing what's happening. So how do you, um, you come across that, like putting old sheets and... Well, it like came um, as Paul called Oliver Knox. He's at the university or was at the University of Armadale. And he, about five or six years ago, he buried his underpants. Yeah, don't ask him why he had to, but um, anyway, um, after a strong smell of relief, about six months later, he went back and dug them up and it had eaten all the... And we'd known for a long time that fabrics just... Yeah, the microbes eat them and put them back in the soil. So Ollie was the one that, yeah, sort of tickled me and said, come off, you know, and, and we'd already been started doing it, uh, shredding our garments and putting them back in the soil. Um, and and he, Ollie was the one that said, come on, let's go. Let's get Sheraton and uh, Sheets and CRDC uh, uh, together. And we, we did our first trial here about three years ago with Cotton Australia and, and uh, yeah, it really worked well. So now we've done the first large scale trial, over 10 hectares of the country to see what's going to happen. What we were worried about is the dyes back in our soil. That's what we were worried. But we're not seeing any detrimental problems from dyes, none whatsoever. But we are seeing more microbes and we are seeing... Um, more moisture hold. Incredible. I didn't go out there to find carbon. <laughs> no, and, and, and I promise you, as soon as people heard about this, all the carbonites came out of Brisbane and Sydney and they, and they, and as soon as they found out that there was only that much carbon more, you know, they all went home. They were hoping to really crack in on the carbon run. It will move to carbon, and it will help it in carbon. It's happened. We've, we've spread some of our grass countries on our cattle farms, yep. and the increase there has been unbelievable. It's just magnificent. So this is where we run a bus to six days a week, mate. Yeah, wow. Good. We show them how to start a siphon. They're dirty at the moment. We've got a round bale out of a pick around here, or miniature bale. Hmm. Oh, you teach them in here. Yeah, little one. <laughs> and then we teach them out here, so yeah. they, we, we fill it up and buddy. And they all have a go. Quite good. Yeah, good. Quite, quite interesting. It's bloody messy at the moment. <laughs> anyway. We're following this doggy yours now. We might drive over into the field here, mate, and then bloody. Yeah, that'd be great. Good drink. You're back in there. She's back in there. She's heard. Oh, good. Thank you. I had that coffee before. Yeah. You have to be 
I'm, I'm that stage of life that I have to show people what's going on and try and help my young, younger generation get through. We're, we're not bad people. We're good people. we the people here. It, in all around Australia, it's just education. Because, well, if you don't mind me asking, Seth, how, yeah, how old are you? 70. Yeah, I'm 70. And you slowed up at bloody 60. I, I still remember the day I turned 60, lying in bed. Oh, no, shit, I feel a bit bloody. Wasn't I'll tell you what, when I got to friggin' 70, holy suffering cross, I've just done that. And you go, you're trying to think, but nothing's happening, and you've been all through it. You know what I mean? It goes on, fucking on. I'm just done that. So this is the trial out here? Yeah, this is our trial. I'm just doing that pig test, ticket test. Oh, yeah. <coughs> like three on beta two here. So it's the full run is the trial. Oh, we 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 sped it well. It it it. Yeah, some of it's still on the ground, on top of the ground, but most of it's been worked in. And I just like to find you a bit that's bloody. You find uh, microbes have got to think cool. Yeah. See that? The grass is just bloody. The microbes in there are just eating that away. It's just incredible the amount that's happening. Until what? They used to be towels. Yeah, until it's all gone. It'll, it'll be all gone by the February, March area. It'll all be just go back into the soil. Hmm. And the in micron activities are incredible. What we're seeing. You see it right down through there? Bits of red, bits of... Uh, it only gets you proper bitty. <laughs> God, stop me dead when you want to find something you can't bloody find, eh? <laughs> <laughs> A lot of it's been bloody chewed away. It's, it's gone. But see the squares, see the flowers are just about to pop out? Yeah. There's the buds that are coming through. The buds, our cotton, this year... Is the yield's going to be astronomical, magnificent. They really are. It, it, it's just a brilliant growing year for cotton. Never seen anything like it. So what is it that, about this year that makes it different to others? I don't know. It's been a little bit of humidity. It's perfect. 20 degrees overnight, up to 34, 35 during the day. Perfect growing conditions. Um, you're getting northeasterly winds most of the time. We're not westerlies that drying uh, or cruel. It's um, a number of things. Moisture probe. Have you seen them before? In the soil, and they get monitor. And there's one up the top end of this block outside the troll area. Yeah. This one here, in right in the middle of this stuff, is holding about 20 to 22 percent more moisture. Because cotton holds 9% of its water value, uh, weight, and it's really bloody putting it in. So it'll be interesting to see what the yields are. <coughs> so is that an old, or that's something else? Oh, no, that's one of our garments. Yeah, they're right. Mm. Yeah, so it's just about to, it hadn't been underneath the soil, it's only been on top. It hadn't got any spandex, but it's an old armband or something like that. That's what it is. <laughs> That's a lot. Amazing, isn't it? 
Oh, shitty. Yeah, no. But see, where what happens if we can get this going, and it's going to take a long time to get going, if we can get 50 or 100,000 tonne shredding factory in Gundawindi, and people start sending their waste back to here, it starts another industry for the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker. Yeah. It secures an area and an income, no matter how much rain or how little rain. Yeah. It's coming back into the town all the time. It, it, it just, and that keeps young people here. Not me. It's, it's, oh, I'm finished. You've got to have young people. That's why they pay. That's why he's not still paying for the boars. Got to have those people. Yeah. It, 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 and you've got to have women and you've got to have kids. And there's 1,800 kids at school in Gundawindi. There's four schools. And we can't grow. We've got to be able to grow and attract and hold those people. Mm. But we've been lucky. I mean, it, the, our values are going up. Our land values are going up mainly because of the uh, super funds and that type of thing and the, uh, coming in and buying overseas super funds, our land values and bits and pieces. We've had low interest rates, you know, for the last 20 years. I mean, we lived through bloody 20, 20% interest rates during the 80s, late 80s, early 90s. I mean, bloody Jesus, it hurt. How did you guys get, get by it, it, then? Like, what, I, I what don't do fucking know. Well, the, the banks didn't want to see us go down. The bankers... They only wanted to sit in their offices. They didn't want to come in and start siphoning and throw them over a bank, yeah. right? You know where I'm coming from. And, yeah. and they all, yeah. And um, they still wanted jobs, so they needed to. Yeah, and they just all went, this is too hard. And we paid 25% interest rate. So every three years, in three years, I, ha I owed, I had no equity whatsoever. Yeah, wow. It, it was all gone. And, and yeah. And a lot of people were in the same boat, but we had good production and we were able to produce. Early 90s were bad because we had drought years. That was hard, really hard. But we held on to all our people. The boys held all their breeders, that type of stuff, because we knew it would rain. Yeah. If you think it's not going to rain, we'll piss or get out of the place. You know what I mean? But buddy, go to the coast, fill up, go to the coast. But it, it's a lot of any business or anything to do is commitment. It takes years to build. It's like going to win cotton. Hey, I'll tell you. How long have you been running for? 30 years. But it hasn't made any money. Ever. Only about five, five, six years ago, I started to make a bit. Yeah. Most, most of our income comes from our farm. It's just pure commitment, long-term commitment. And you stick there and you hold there. You change directions within those companies. Or, or ways of strategy to do things, but it is part of a commitment. I mean, as I said, I've been married 50 years. Now, she did bloody well the last, or I did bloody well the last, for hanging on to her 50 years, for Christ's sake. You know what I mean? She's had very good commitment. Mm -hmm. Well, so I was interested, like, you know, you're saying before about how your team and everything's so important. How far into the future do you kind of look, like, with your with With Gunnawindy Cot. We're out there two years. Uh -huh. They're developing and there's prototypes coming through for winter 25 now coming in. And we're looking at summer 26, colours and those type of things and styles coming through. Yep. So you've got to be out there forward thinking all the time. But it's farming and business is like driving down the road. You've got to be over to see what's coming in from the right, what's the left, what the speed is, what's behind you, 
what's coming straight at you. I say to my grandchildren, I know he was in the wrong and he ran into and killed her. You're dead. You have to be working out what hell's wrong and what's happening in the future. It's just like driving. Any business is just like driving. It's looking out there and be able to predict what's coming ahead of you and what you do to get around it. And you know that's a problem coming up, so we're going to do B. And then if that looks a bit icky when we get to A, we go to C. It's like driving from here to Brisbane, a tree over the road or... I mean, you've got to turn around. You've got to know where to get out and get around. You just don't sit there till bloody <laughs> the earthquake's over. Yeah. I mean, come on. So, I went, well, you do some bloody interesting stuff. If you were coming into ag today with everything that's going on, where, like, what would be your dream role? If you were entering agriculture today as a young fella, again, if they coming out of school. Very difficult. I'd see where a young bloke coming on the farms should be coming in and working for companies like ourselves. And they are professional companies which is a massive amount of technology now. I mean, if our, we hadn't moved to technology 20 years ago and kept moving to it, we'd have been out of business. Marcus Holman, places like that, then through to camps like this, then overseas, back here. It's attention to detail. You learn and get the jobs done properly and on time. In agriculture, like all businesses, has to be done on time. There's no if, but, or anything else. But it, it's got to be done today, and that's the number one rule. But to bring young people back into agriculture and to gradually own farms, I would go out and lease or share farm from there. And if somebody will lend you the money to buy something, you take the money and borrow it. Go for it. Just go for it, no matter what happens. It's... What have been the, your... the banks, the banks are in the business of lending money. If they want to lend you money and they reckon your character and your wife ain't good enough, you go and borrow it and get into it. You might be 110% borrowed. Doesn't matter. Just go for it. You'll pull out of it. All you've all you got to have is commitment. That's all you've got to have. And you, it will rain. It does rain. It might take another year, but you've got to hold out till it rains. It will rain. And that's what Production, not price, has always been our problem. Lack of production. And it's been droughts. And hence why that why some of our farms have got irrigation. Gotta have it to underwrite the rest of the farming and the rest of the jobs in those farms. And we have about 120 permanent people. The family does permanent. And then we've got casualties out from there that we bring on. What have you learned from being like so close to the point of failure? Like oh, losing it all. Listen, I've been 110% borrowed. <laughs> and that was on our valuations, not the bank's valuations. You know, brother Ben and I and Dave. Easy. Oh, unreal. And it was a disaster. We were on death row a number of times. <laughs> but if you have that commitment, it's been budgets, cash flows. Budget actual difference. Listen, I remember the days when we couldn't write out a hundred dollar check unless we rang the bank. Oh, jeez, unbelievable! You wouldn't have been blind blokes boot down the road, would you? <laughs> but it was just got in and worked and went for it. Anyway, doing it. It's that commitment got to be out there. We love it all, and I love those days too. It was challenged, like that outside centre. Got the ball. And get through them, get through past that bloody 
outside ten around the fullback. You know what I mean? That, that challenge is there. You've got to hold the challenge. You know, there's, we're lucky. There's a lot of people that want in Australia a comfortable living, and they want they don't want to take any chances, and they want to work there five days a week, six days a week. That's fine. And they want to spend it with their families and bits and pieces. I mean, that's fine. We're the other side. We work six, seven days a week. We're all doing something. Um, I, I mean, I even my own lawns. That type of stuff. Not because I like it. We do is we are not another study and then form a committee to, because we can't make a decision. It's full on. And there will be, there is hollow logs with an end to them. And you've got to back out. But you've got to be able to back out of that and go up the next one and keep going. You cannot, you've got to go under it, over it, round it, through it. If you can't get, you know what I mean? You've got to be able to find a way around it. Don't sit there and say, well, there's a log in the middle of the road, I can't make it. You've got to. Got to do it. You might be a bit late. So be it. Got to have it. It's fighting the dog. And I'll push my people that way. We get round it. We're going to do a run into the Los Angeles with our garments. Mm. And I'm hoping in the next couple of months it's going to cost a couple of hundred to get there with social media and all that type of stuff. Another website, blah, blah, blah. But we're slow at the moment. The websites Australia's wide are slow. I can't sit there and we haven't got production. You've got to have production. We don't make any money under a 70 cent dollar. I don't know when you caught. At 66, 67, where we are now, we're not making a dollar because it's US, you know, everything's paid for in US dollars. Yeah. And we have to. Good for ag, bad for your retail yeah, Correct. Yeah. And it's very hard on my side because you've got exports and then we've got imports. Depends who you're talking to. We, <laughs> Which one is more favourable for you? Oh, yeah, no. Just definitely dollar. export. Export yeah, side. Right. Yeah. But going to win in cotton when you're sitting in that side of the desk, mm-hmm. we want the Aussie dollar up about 75 cents. You only care for what you wish for, are This move, though. Well, you're going to come down and build there. Near, oh, new building, right there. Going to win in cotton? Yep. Yeah, so, right on the end of, end of February. Yeah, right. You'll be able to go for a swim at lunchtime. Sorry? You'll be able to go for a swim at lunch. Over the co-op, up to the pub. Please. <laughs> We're playing right now. Unreal. No, we're running out of room. Look, the town needs a new building in it. We need new things. See, the t- if you take a look at the streets, it's nice. I know it's clean, but they're old. You know what I mean? It, 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 Got to have new things. Mm. You, you young people want new things. We need painting. We need a facelift. And I don't blame us. I mean, why I should be driving around my Willie's Jeep. <laughs> but I've got an air-conditioned bloody Toyota with a dog sitting in the back. I mean, <laughs> and, 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 and the people that come to work in town or get jobs in town, they've got women that want to go within 20 minutes of the bloody coffee shop. In the schools, you know, to go, and you want the parents to be able to go to the sports days and those types of things. I mean, it has to happen. Mm. And you've got to have that if you want people out here. That's the way it is. Everybody says, oh, they can live in that old farm cottage. No, bullshit. They want air conditioning. They want a fridge. All that type of stuff. It has to happen, mate. Yeah. Otherwise, you don't. I'm in it. I need to stop recording that, Sam, but thank you so much for the mm-hmm. Well, that's it for another episode from us here at Humans of Agriculture. We hope you're enjoying these podcasts and, well, if you're not, let us know. Hit us up at hello at humansofagriculture.com 
get in touch with any guest recommendations, topics, or things you'd like us to talk and get curious about. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Rate, subscribe, review it. Any feedback is absolutely awesome and we really do welcome it. So look after yourselves, stay safe, stay sane. We'll see you next time. See ya.